You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot... Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome to the Attacking Scrum Podcast. We're back for a new season. Uh, well, a new season of Pro 14 rugby anyway. The, uh, the English Premiership is still in last season and the European Cup is still in last season. Strange times that we live in. And uh, who better to help me navigate these strange times than top journalist, friend of the show, Stefan Thomas. Hi, Steph. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, Jed. How are you? Good, thanks. Uh, you're just saying off air, that was your first visit to a press box for, uh, well, yeah, I guess for over six months. Uh, how did you find it? Uh, yeah, it was, it was good to be back, and it's better than um, trying to cover games off the TV. Um, I, did, you know, I, I didn't pick the best game to come back to from a journalistic point of view, that Scarless <laughs> game. I had to do about four rewrites uh, because uh, it looked like they were going to win easily, and then uh, Munster came back to draw the game. Then, of course, uh, I, I managed to rewrite that part, and then, bang, they uh, scored... Uh, scored a winning penalty and the final whistle. So I was scrambling about trying to uh, change all my copies. So a um, bit of a baptism of fire, but uh, good to be back nonetheless. If you were looking for an easy night, you probably should have, uh, yeah, you, you would have been more comfortable with the Dragons game, which kind of played out exactly as exactly as everyone expected it really, but uh, perhaps not tipping the 50-point uh, the mark. But there we go. Uh, like you say, it's good, to, it's good to be back and it's good to be back talking rugby as well. And we've got lots to get through this evening or this morning, whenever you're listening to it. And we've got the open weekend of the Pro 14 to look at. We've also got a Wales squad announcement next week. So we're going to be previewing that and seeing what players has caught Steph's eye, who we'd like to see in there, who we expect to see in there. And we'll round up all the other business from uh, within Welsh rugby as well. Uh, but we're going to start, Steph, we're going to do in chronological order. So we'll start uh, Friday evening with uh, Cardiff Blues win away at Zebra. Did you manage to catch that one? Yeah, it did. Yeah, um, it wasn't. Um, it wasn't the highest quality game, um, you know. But I think first game of the season out in out in Zebra, um, it's probably the the worst time to play them really because mm. it's the same as the Italians and the Six Nations. They're always um, tough as first up, and then after they've emptied the kitchen sink, they tend to sort of have heavier defeats as the tournament goes along. And I think that on paper, obviously Cardiff are a lot stronger, but they've. They've slipped up in Italy against uh, both Italian teams on numerous occasions in the past. So I think most important thing is is they won the game. I think they made hard work of it. You know, Zebra had a, a fairly physical pack, but I, ne- I never felt that uh, Cardiff were ever going to uh, lose the game. Um, and you know, they they managed um, the, the red card. Um, Josh Turnbull received pretty well. Um, so all in all, it was a you know it, it was a good nice work from them. They, they'll have to play better if they want to beat good teams but you know win away from home you know can't uh, can't be too displeased with that 
Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mentioned the red card there. Pretty clear-cut one for you? I think so. I mean, I've seen a lot of people on social media um, rubbish it and say, um, oh, you know, it's uh, you know the, the game's gone mad and all that sort of thing. But mm. look, Josh Turnbull's a, a clean player. He's not a dirty player whatsoever. There was no intent in it. But I just think sometimes, you know, in the heat of the battle, um, you know, we a player can duck into a tackle or whatever and you go high, you, you know, a lot of things can happen. But, um, and this is not a judgment of Turnbull, but the letter of the law says, mm. you know, to, a shoulder to the head is is a red card and every professional referee that knows what he's doing uh, would have, you know, the end result would have been the same. It would have been a red card and I agree with the laws personally. Um, it's there to protect the player. You know, headshots can be disastrous with concussions and, and even worse, um, you know, um, conditions afterwards. So 100% the right decision and 100% the, the right law as well, in, in my opinion. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. I have to say that when the... The, the first kind of iteration of the new the new laws came in a few seasons back. You know, we had a few... So I think it was just that adjustment period. I remember Danny Cipriani getting sent off for Gloucester against uh, Munster, I think, someone like that. And it, it kind of... You looked at it and it looked very much as a player had run into his shoulder and you thought, oh, God, this is just going to be a mess. But I think a couple of seasons in, things have really started to bed themselves in and... It's clear with this. I think if you were to ask Josh Turnbull now uh, what his you know what his thoughts are, I think he'd probably agree that it was a red card and he knows that he takes that risk. He's lined down, he's lined his man up, he's gone in hard. If he hits him in the chest, it's a fantastic tackle. But uh, but he you know that there's a, a very small margin for error, and when that happens, you're gonna have to pay the consequences, uh, which he did. The, the other thing I think is is actually, and I, I thought this during the World Cup last year is it can even up a game, providing there's consistency around it. You know, you can see very one games that on paper should be one-sided. Yeah. You actually end up getting more of a contest out of it. And, and if I'm honest, I think that's something that rugby has always suffered from. Because in football, you know, you can have the, the odd game where, uh, you know, a, a Man City is, is upset by, uh, you know, by, a, I don't know, a Stoke or Leicester or whoever. But, uh, God, they're very dated references. But, um, but I think rugby's always kind of struggled with that. The strongest side always wins. And actually, I think, you know, this, this one, I know people are going to be shouting at this saying you don't want to see 14 versus 15. But on the other occasion, I think it can make for a more interesting spectacle. Yeah, yeah, I think it can. I mean, we, we saw it with the, the Lions in the second test in 2017. I don't think... You know, I obviously haven't got a crystal ball, but I don't think they would have won that second test if Sonny Bill hadn't um, had that rush of blood to the head. That's probably a poor example, really, because the Lions are great players as well. But I can see where you meet. But obviously, the the main reason that 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 um, those sort of offences are are deemed worthy of a red card is to stamp them out of the game and to make it a bit safer for for all players. I mean, you're never going to make yeah. a game like rugby fully safe. You you when you go on the field, you, you obviously do have to accept that you could get serious injured, but, you know, obviously they, they've cleaned the game up a lot and um, how you shot Sagata, you know, there's obviously a far greater risk of injury and, um, yeah, as I said, right decision, right rule. Yeah, you obviously you're, you're pointing out the, the much more important thing about player safety there, which uh, you're absolutely right on. My point was a bit more frivolous, but there we go. It is a byproduct uh, that I have, uh, you know, I have thought has, has even up the odd game on occasions. But as you say, Cardiff get off to a winning start. They'll, have, they'll definitely have wanted that. A few players caught my eye, particularly in the back row. I thought Shane Lewis Hughes and, and Jim Botham in particular had uh, had really strong games, particularly when they played large chunks of it. Um, you know, with a, a kind of a two man back row, really. Yeah, um, <clears throat> um, I think we'll probably be talking about this later on on the show. But um, Shane Lewis Hughes, I think, is is a player that has really caught my eye over the last um, mm. eight months or so. Um, James Botham was excellent as well. I think he's he's got a big future. But when when Wayne Piver comes to selecting his squad, I mean, obviously, obviously he's, he's picked it already, but um, when it comes to announcing the squad, I, I wouldn't at all be surprised to see Shane Lewis he was mm. in there. He was obviously in, in his um, extended squad for Barbarians game, didn't play, didn't quite make his cut for the Six Nations, but... What I think, when you when you look across the back rows at, at the at the four pro size in Wales, I mean, obviously, um, 
you know, it's well documented the the outrageous strength in depth Wales have at, at open side. Only New Zealand are, are arguably betting them um, in, in in that position. And you look at somebody like Josh McLeod, and you're like, yeah, he's he's a really good player, but he he has the same sort of skill set as the other players already in the squad. But what gives somebody like Shane Lewis Hayes an edge is that he brings something different mm. to the other players in the squad. Um, and he's a proper blindside. Now, we've got a lot of players that can cover the back row, but he's he's an out-and-out six. He's athletic, but he's not like an Aaron Shingler type player. He's very um, he's very physical. Not not that Shingler isn't physical, but you know, he's a really powerful, explosive carrier. He's a really destructive car, um, destructive tackler as well. He's a good, good footballer. He's a good footballer as well. Um, very intelligent player, but it's just that raw physicality that he brings. And I just think well, Pivak wants to play this athletic game, this wide open athletic game. And people question whether it's whether you can play that test level. And jury's out for me on that. But you get a lot of players who are really talented, like athletes, and their highlight reel when you put it together, they're brilliant. But Often in tight games at test level, they just they just nullify completely because size matters a lot more at that level. But what Lewis Hughes has got, he's that type of player, but he, he packs a punch as well. He's not a player that's going to get bullied. He's a player that's going to win the game line, that's going to knock people back over the game line. And he's just a player, every collision he goes into, he wants to win. And I, I just think, yeah, it's early days with him. He'll have bad games, no doubt. But I just think when you look at him and you compare him to the others, Wayne Rice, a fantastic player. Moriarty's a good player. Navidi's a sort of six and a half. But he's a different type of player to every other player in, in the in the back row, um, um, you know, selection dilemma for Wales. So um, I, I think I really wouldn't be surprised to see his name um, in Pivak's squad when it's announced on Tuesday. Yeah, we're done. I'm sure we'll, we'll definitely get onto this in the second half of the show when we look at the when we look at the squad. But yeah, some really interesting points you've raised there. I think you go back to it's just that golfing class between club rugby and, and international rugby is uh, is so so big. I think particularly when you go from looking at Pro 14 into uh, into international, and uh, you're right, looking at Shane Lewis, he's, he does have that physicality that you think would will equip him very, very well for the test arena. And you look back to Warren Gatland's period in charge and there were just players that he trusted in those tight games. You know, you look at, at uh, how much he trusted Dan Lydia for a long period of time and even the likes, of, even in the backs, you know, the likes of um, Halfpenny you'd always turn to and I know we're going to talk about him later on as well, but there is something about those players who can perform at the, at the highest level in the tightest games and win you test matches. And uh, yeah, there's no denying that Pivot will want to play that expansive, that expansive game, but there are there are going to be games that are twelve all with three minutes to go, and you've got to be able to close those out. And it's it's having those kind of players who are able to do that. And I'm not saying physicality is everything to do with that, but it certainly helps when you've got a, you know when you've got an explosive uh, explosive player who gives you those those options. So yeah, it's uh, he, he really is uh, he really is one to watch there. I just wanted to touch on the, the, the Cardiff backs before we move on to the other games. And um, I mean, Josh Adams continues his, uh, his outrageous run of form. Uh, just, you know, again, anytime he gets a sniff, you, you feel like he's going to get over the try line. Uh, interesting one for me, though, is, is the centres. And again, regular listeners will know that I, I kind of have this fascination with, with Halaholo and, and Lilo that I think they're both fantastic players. They are definitely Cardiff Blue's best two centres. But there are some games where I feel they would benefit from a, a more a more direct centre alongside alongside one of them. I, I feel like there are occasions when it can just get a little bit too lateral. And again, I found myself thinking that on uh, uh, on Friday night. Um, obviously, you know, as you said, Josh Adams, phenomenal player. Don't really need to talk much about him. I think all the viewers know he's a, he's a world class wing. But um, yeah, I I, th- I can see your point. The, but I, I think. Josh Adams aside, I would argue that Ray Lilo's Cardiff Blues' is best back. Mm. He's certainly their most important back. That guy is just criminally underrated. Mm. You never hear, hear people, apart from Cardiff fans, obviously talk about him in terms of non-Welsh qualified players. But that guy's had a really good impact. There's a, a few Cardiff fans who I really respect highly who actually rate him higher than Casey Laulala, who um, mm. oh, I thought was a brilliant player. Um, he's just... 
he's, he's just, you know, he does all the basics well. He's very physical, very direct, but it's just his leadership, um, just his organisational skills as well, um, and just, just the way he sort of bosses a game. I think Holo is maybe a more talented player, and I think his his peak, his his best is maybe better than Lilo's best. But my criticism of Holo is that he sometimes drifts in and out of games, mm. and maybe he doesn't have as much of a, an impact on games that, that he should. When he's at his best, he's fantastic, and I, I think he'd probably be in the, the squad as well on um, on Tuesday. But I, I do I do see a point. Yeah, I think. Um, you know, yeah, there might not be the right balance behind the scrum. I think looking at Cardiff Blues, the one guy that they've really missed so badly for the past couple of seasons has been Gareth Anscombe. Um, when they won the Challenge Cup out in, in Bilbao, when they beat Gloucester, he, you know, Jared Evans was the 10, but McNorbourne's about it. Anscombe was the one calling the shots from 15. And they've, they've really lacked something behind the scrum since he's left. But, yeah, um, I, I do see your point, but but for me, Ray Lilo is um, one of the best um, overseas signings that they've uh, they've made. No, I think you're absolutely right, but uh, as you say, job done for uh, for Cardiff Blues. They're underway with uh, with a win, and we'll no doubt be uh, delighted to do that in a game that's a bit of a potential banana skin. Uh, something that I, I don't think anyone really saw as a banana skin was the uh, was the Dragons' visit to Leinster. Um, I'll just give you my take on it quickly before we get yours. Again, I went into it with very low kind of expectations. Uh, although it's you know it's a, a strong dragon side on paper and certainly stronger than it's been for a long while. Uh, you know, I felt like Leicester off the back of their European exit with a, a pretty much fully loaded side or certainly a very strong side was always going to be a tough order for me. But you know, spirited, spirit display in, in places but set piece just not good enough and, and I, I, just, I found it a bit strange that we just weren't committing anyone to the breakdown I think if you, you know if you give Leinster front football they will absolutely steamroll you and uh, I don't know I found the back row selection a little bit strange you know I think Harry Kelly's done a really good job for um, um, for the Dragons but in a game like that I, I would be looking to unleash Batsham and just try and try and snaffle some balls slow it down pinch the old turnover and try and catch the opportunist try, but um, that was my take on it. Steph, what did, what did you think of that game? When when a team gets promoted from the championship in, in football, right, you, you, I remember years ago, Swansea got promoted and then their first game was Man City away. I think they lost 4-0. And when you get promoted, you know, the games you want to win, you want to win every game, but the game games you want to win are games against teams around you mm-hmm. on a similar standard to like if we consider the Dragons, this is the first time, first real season where they've had anything resembling a squad that can be competitive. You know, we all like to have a dig at the Dragons and criticise them for results, but the fact of the matter has been that they they've never, you know, they've never really had a squad that should be doing better than it, than it was doing. But now they have a squad that can do that, that they that can improve. So they're still at base camp. Uh, and I, I don't think we should be judging the Dragons on the basis of what they do out in Dublin against mm. probably you know, one of the, the greatest non-international teams on the planet, a team that maybe beat a lot of international sides. So when you get promoted from the Championship, you need to win games against teams around you, not not against your Man Cities and your Liverpools. So I, I don't think, you know, I think Dean Ryan would have looked at it as a game where, you know, it, when you play games like that, it's like playing the All Blacks as well, even if you have a hiding, one thing it does give the coach is very useful in seeing who's up to it and who isn't up to it. Mm. And what we we what we found out from the last two games, which they've had absolute, they've been slaughtered in, uh, Leinster and Bristol Bears. One thing we have found out is their front five is not good enough. You know, we, we've looked around the squad, we've seen somebody like Leon Brown, who's fantastic around the park, but you know, against Bristol, he was you know he had his backside handed to him in the scrum for example and it's no disrespect but he's a work in progress in the scrum so that it's useful in that regard you know I, I don't think that they've recruited well enough in the front five if I'm being honest I think Bateman is a, is a decent player but all in all I, I don't think that front five is good enough to take him to the next level but I think they've you know as we've said before they've, they've got a re- an excellent back row they've recruited really well and strengthened significantly behind the scrum front five isn't quite good enough but I, I thought they were they were spirited um, against Leinster, but I think as Dean Ryan said, you know, 
they they just weren't clinical at all. And whenever Leinster get chances, they're just so ruthless. They 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 put chances away and score tries nine nine and a half times out of ten, and that was the biggest difference. Um, Ashton Hewitt, you know, phenomenal finish. Um, we won't see a better finish than that all season, I don't think. And uh, he, he's he's one of these guys who's like 50-50 to be in the squad. Mm. He's probably competing with maybe Steph Evans and John Holmes for a place. So we, we wait and see on that. He certainly um, deserves a cap. But yeah, I, I just don't think we can be too critical of the Dragons because ultimately away in Dublin against Leinster isn't, isn't the game we should be judging whether they made progress or not. Yeah, no, there were fair points in there, and uh, yeah, we'll definitely come on to talk about uh, to talk about Ashton Hewitt uh, when it comes to the Wales selection, which we'll be doing a little bit later on. Let's move on to the game that you went to, Steph. Again, uh, the Scarlets at home to Munster. Uh, I like you said, you had to do a complete rewrite on this one because it looked as though the, the result was there, and what was to me, it felt like a very streetwise performance from the Scarlets to a point, and then. It all kind of hinged around um, hinged around that try and and, and the subsequent sending off of Omani. Um, yeah, it, it was an odd one. It's the game a game I would have expected Scarlets to close out. Yeah, what well, was a very strange game. I think I think it was a good game to watch from a neutral point of view. Mm. Um, certainly, I don't think anybody would have saw Munster coming back to win that game. But when, when I was covering the game, um, obviously I, I had a quick look at Twitter to see what people's reactions were. And a lot of the Munster fans, mo- most of the fans were saying, oh, it's all predictable, you know, no plan B from Van Graan. Um, mm. You know, um, we tried to bully the Scarlets and instead they bullied us. But And, and, and the Scarlets pack were, were outstanding for most of the game. You know, it was probably the strongest pack they've had for years. I thought Blair Thompson was excellent. Um, I think he's going to be an asset for Scotland if he stays fit. That is, um, I thought Lousy was good. Um, Ken Owens played well. Um, the scrum was poor in the first half, but it was a lot better in the second when Javon Sebastian came on. But for about sixty-five to sixty-eight minutes of the second half, I thought the Scarlets pack were bullying Munster. Half penny was mm. absolutely phenomenal. Twenty-seven points, uh, nine penalties off a kick and tee, which is a, actually a Scarlets record. Not a half penny record, by the way. He scored eleven against the Western Force for the Lions in a midweek game. Good pub quiz question there. But yeah, um, I like that one. I'm stealing that. Yeah. But no, um, you know, you've got to give credit to Munster. What they've got is they got that never say die attitude and they um you know they, they just never give up and you know you've got to give them huge credit. But the game management from the Scarlets has really locked, has really let them down two games running now. They've been in positions to win two games against Toulon. They should have won that game and against Munster. And to be... They were 14 points up at one stage, I think. Mm. They were in complete control of that game and they seemed to take their foot off the gas. Um, I thought some decision-making was was really, really poor and Munster made them pay. And usually, we, we when we talk about the Scarless... It's always been, oh, they've got great backs, but they've got a real soft underbelly. But I would argue that their pack is a lot stronger than their back line now. They created nothing. They literally created zero all game. Half half penny was fantastic, obviously, with his, with his boot. And obviously, they were right to go for three points when, when they were awarded penalties. Um, but Munster outscored them three tries to nil. And, um, you know, they, they've scored zero tries in two games now, despite having, the, you know, at least parity physically against Toulon and Munster. And, um, that, that should worry Glendalini. Yeah, I think there are some excellent points in there, and, and I'd agree with a lot of that. The the thing for me is, I felt that yeah, you're right. Game management and just some poor decision making. There's a few things that spring to mind. Uh, Gareth Davis' kick in the first half that led to the monster try was was pretty aimless. I think it was Gareth Davis off his off his left foot. Um, you know, it was, it was a fairly aimless one. There was. A moment in the second half when uh, there was a penalty, which uh, there was an advantage for. I think it was Steph Evans put a kick out to the wing, which went absolutely nowhere. If they'd have kept the ball in hand and straightened up there, that should have been that should have been a try. And um, and likewise, towards the end of the game, uh, there was some turnover ball, uh, which uh, did very well to, to grab hold of the loose ball, get it back, and um, and Jonathan Davis, who you know, again, he. Uh, no one rates him higher than I do, but um, I, I think it was a, like a, a loose kick over the top that surrendered surrendered possession to 
back to Munster. And, and you just think those are the things that you expect Scarlets to get right and they have got right more often than not in, um, in recent years. And I think those things can cost you because you have one try for Scarlets in that entire game and, uh, and they'd have won it. Yeah, absolutely. And I just think as well, and I was a bit baffled with some of the selections. I think that the team to start was was very strong. Um, but, you know, you, you look at the bench, right? You've got, they left out Uzair Kasim, who I think was a top ball carrier in the Pro 14 last season. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't think you can argue with the starting back row selection. As I said, I thought Blair Thompson, now he's fit. He was excellent. He on yesterday. Uh, McLeod's on fire and, and I think I like Callum McFarney as well but um, you know nothing against um, James Davis but I just thought you know you're playing Munster and it's absolutely pissing down with rain um, sorry I just swore I don't know if that's going to count against you but as, as I've said a number of times we've had David Bishop on this podcast before so swearing goes <laughs> yeah but but you, you get my point you would have thought that he would have gone for heavy heavier carriers I'm a huge fan of Lewis Rawlins but I'm a bit baffled again why Tavita or Tuva wasn't there you know a guy that that big that physical could have made a big impact late on in the game um, so it's a bit um, it's a bit baffled with some selections but it looks to me like the Scarlets are trying to play a power game. Now, as I said, the, the pack's improved, but I, I just thought there was no need to, for them to change their game plan away from the expansive game plan that you know was really successful when they won the league, but perhaps they were, they were worked out a bit. All they needed to do was bulk up their pack and get a bit more physical. They've done that, but it seems like the game plan has changed a little bit. They're not really playing with two... Um, they usually played in the pivot with two sort of receivers they're a second mm-hmm. receiver they don't really play that at the moment um, and yeah I, I just think they, they're a bit blunt in attack aren't they and you're not used to seeing that by the Scarlets and that's something they need to sort out because when you play reasonably well and, and they did play well for a lot of the game remember and you lose like that, that that just really knocks your confidence you're better off playing badly and losing than playing well and losing and they got a real tough run of fixtures you know Glasgow away going to be really tough next week they'll be up against it there and you know the, the, there's there's other really tough fixtures coming up so they they're under pressure already and um, they they really need to, um, to sort themselves out but as I said credit to Munster great kick at the end to win it but one point I'd like to make as well is Peter Omani I mean you know the first yellow card okay you know it's a physical game but the second one what a pathetic act you know, the guy had already scored. Great refereeing, by the way, to allow the try and then uh, mm. obviously give the penalty rather than disallow the try. Totally the right decision. The guy had already scored. He could see he'd scored and he decided to jump in and try and hurt somebody with his, I think it was with, with his shoulder. What a pathetic act. Arm, yeah. What yeah. an pathetic act from, you know, Ireland's captain. And he, and he deserved his red card. I got no sympathies. I just think, yeah, we're trying to stamp that out of the game and he's going around needlessly doing stuff like that. The thing I found strange, actually, about the refereeing decision is he awarded a second yellow rather than a straight red. And to me, that was was a clear... Obviously, there's no no, uh, difference on the night in terms of the result because it's a red card. But that that was a red card offence. And I think, again... You know, when you when you're showing the game on, on, on TV, admittedly, probably to fairly small viewership, but nonetheless, I, I think that you're right. That's the kind of thing you want to stamp out, and that was that was really clear cut. I, um, I, I just felt like that was an opportunity to go forearm forearm to the to the head. That's it's considerably more um, more malicious than the Josh Turnbull incident, for example, oh, Friday night. It, you know, there was, there was a clear gap. Imani knew what he was doing there and, and kind of thought, I don't really know why he thought he could get away get away with it. I'm a, I'm a massive fan of, of Imani as a, as a player. He's terrific. He's niggly. Yeah. He's, he's hard. But that's that's coward, you know, that's a cowardly move to, yeah. to take a cheap shot at someone on the floor, uh, you know, as... as and I don't know. I'm, I'm sure, he, from what I've heard, he's a he's an outstanding bloke off the field as well. But uh, but I, I we bitterly disappointed with him, with himself with that regards. And um, and you know, it's, it's definitely one where where a band needs to follow. Uh, absolutely, as we said, Josh Turnbull was his red card was like an innocent mistake, wasn't it? Games mm-hmm. played under miles an hour, you know, split second. I think and yeah, but Omani saw 
saw saw that his player had scored, then saw I can't remember who it was. It might have been Jake Ball, and decided, oh, I'd hurt this guy. You know, and obviously, you know, Van Gran and some of the Munster players would, would you know, they'd obviously defend him to the hilt. But, you know, it, if I was his coach I, and, and he was my captain acting like that, I, I would make an example of him. I just think it was pathetic and dangerous play and let's hope he, he gets banned for it. I'm not going to apologise for that. I think he needs to be stamped out of the game. No, I'd absolutely agree with you on that. Uh, right, let's uh, finish the first half by talking about the Ospreys. I have to say, I haven't seen the full game, uh, this one. Uh, I've, I've only seen the uh, the limited highlights that are available. But massive result for the Ospreys. They had uh, you know, a, a much stronger side out on paper than, than they have had for a, for a long period of time. But had to, had to get the result. And away to Edinburgh, you know, they really, they can't, they can't, they can't hope for too much more than that, really. Oh, they, they were outstanding. Uh, you know, it's the best Ospreys performance since well, for for about two years, I would have thought. Um, you know, they on paper, as you said, they had a really strong side out. You know, Alwyn Jones and Tipperick both starting, which unfortunately, as we said on the pod, a lot of times it's going to be a rare sight seeing players of that quality in this league this season. But they certainly made the most of of having their star players, and unlike the Scarlets, and um, yeah, the Edinburgh have been a really good side um, under Cockrell. Um, they, they were missing a few players, but the Ospreys put them to the sword with with ease. Really, maybe should have won with a bonus point. The the pack was excellent. I thought Webb was outstanding. Um, he, re- he really was. Um, Kieran Williams, um, if he stays fit, that he's named on future internationally. He reminds me a bit of Scott Gibbs. He's not the biggest man, but he's so powerful, so explosive. Um, he was excellent. And Matt Prothro as well. You know, is he somebody with an international future? He's great for Bristol. Um, you know, he, he hasn't really been talked about that much um, for, for for international honours, and I don't think he'd be in this squad. But again, he he's a guy. He's he's on the wing now. He's got great pace, great feet, but he he, he stands a first receiver a lot. You know, he played a lot of his uh, age, most of his age grade rugby at ten. He, he had a, a fine game as well. And um, you know, Nicky Smith, I think he's playing really well. Best form he's been in for well for a very long time, for 18 months, I'd say. Um, and yeah, it was just just an all-round really good performance. And I think that the difference between the Ospreys and the Scarlets was the performance of their halfbacks. I didn't think the Scarlets halfbacks controlled the game well enough whatsoever. But I thought Webb, you know, we all know he's a great player. He was outstanding. And for me, he he is Wales' best scrum half. I think he is in pole position uh, to, to start for Wales when... When he, you know, in the big games, and Myler passed his best, of course, but can control a game, knows what to do, takes the right options, and what the Scarlets would have given. Uh, not, not that Dan Jones didn't play well, but what the Scarlets would have given to have a, an old head like that, that would have taken the right decisions under pressure and just managed the game when they needed to. And um, uh, yeah, the, the Ospreys were superior to Edinburgh all round, and um, fantastic win, and obviously great to see them. Um, See them have have a little bit of success after after what's been a pretty um, horrific um, eighteen months for them. Halfbacks thing is uh, so important. They yeah. have really struggled in that position over the last couple of years. I felt like Ali Davis was a you know was a good signing and a and a fine player, but he never really looked overly comfortable uh, at the Ospreys and filling Bruce Webb's boots was was always a big was always a big task. And they have not had a they've not had a ten capable of uh, of controlling a game. You know. Price didn't really didn't really work out for them. We've said before that, that getting rid of Sam Davis was a mistake. And although Myler is you know, thirty-seven or however old he is, he's a, he is able to, to control the game. So having that level of experience there is great. The thing that is, that is frustrating, as you say there, and I think this is why I enjoyed the first weekend so much, is you had you had very strong squads out, you know, almost across the board in the Pro 14. And and that's what that's what you want to see is you want to be able to watch a, to watch an Osprey side that has Alan Jones and Justin Tipperick in the pack and and the other internationals and and does have that that class of Reese Webb in there uh, in the halfbacks. But it is going to be a rare sight this season because of the uh, because of the uh, the extended international periods. Do you think they'll be able to they'll be able to cope when some of these key players go? Well, that's the key question, and I've been critical of the Ospreys' um, <clears throat> recruitment policy, um, you know, on this podcast and in in some of my um, my articles. And 
I, I, you know, I've said before, I've said, you know, they've got some great up and coming players. Their first choice team, as we saw yesterday, is uh, very handy indeed. But uh, maybe that middle tier of player isn't quite the standard that they they need to to make, you know, playoffs and um, and whatnot. And I still stand by that. I think, you know, they showed what they were capable of yesterday. And if they had that team every week, they they'd be semi finalists at least probably. But um, yeah, I, I I don't think they've got the strength and depth. Um, I'm not saying they're going to be towards the bottom of the league like they were last year. There'd be big improvements. Um, you know, Toby Booth's obviously big on culture and whatnot, um, so that that'll, that'll be good for them. But um, I, I just don't think they've got the depth. And if you get injuries on top of of your international players missing, which are going to happen to every team, you're in a bit of trouble, aren't you? And um, you lose now in a win, Tipperick. I think Nicky Smith's got a good chance of being back in the squad, mm. and and then you, you know you're losing, um, you know Reece Webb as well, um, and um, there are other players behind the scrum, um, but you know Owen Watkin as well. Who knows? Maybe Kieran Williams. You know you don't know, do you? Um, he's certainly going to be a future international. I, I just not sure they got the quality of player required in that middle tier. Um, to mount a realistic challenge for the playoffs. Um, hopefully I'm wrong, but um, the jury's out and um, that, that's going to be the, the test for them this season. Nonetheless, excellent performance and uh, and the winning start. So uh, they'll be uh, very pleased, uh, Toby Booth and his men. Right, we've still got loads more to get through and we're going to look in detail at the upcoming Wales squad announcement and we'll be doing that after this very, very quick break. Time now, Steph, to have a look at uh, the Wayne Pivak's <laughs> squad announcement. I mean, it's, again, testament to these strange signs that we live in, that we've had one weekend of, uh, of the league season and we've already got uh, an international squad announcement. But a lot of international rugby to be played. We've got uh, the, the end of the Six Nations. We've got a, potentially a, a, game out in, a game out in France and, uh, and then the Autumn Nations Cup. To come, um, so Wayne Pivak has, has got to name a, a squad here. Uh, how do you assess what uh, what what he needs from this squad? Is this about blooding players, or is it about uh, is it actually about getting out and getting some wins under the belt? What uh, what do you think are going to be those priorities for it? Well, I think last week's announcement that Wales are going to be in the top seeds um, of the um, you know for the next World Cup, I think could influence some of his selection because obviously if they after an indifferent Six Nations campaign last season or is it the same season I don't know <laughs> uh, yeah it is the same isn't it yeah but you know after an indifferent Six Nations I think um, you know if they'd lost a few games during this um, the, you know this new competition and, and you know obviously the Scotland game and France game that you know they would have uh, they could have potentially faced um, the same scenarios they faced in 2015, being drawn in the pool of death. Um, obviously, they could still be in tough pools, but mm. as it, as it is, they they you know they're in a really strong position looking ahead to, to the next World Cup. So that takes a little bit of pressure away from Pivac, and you know you want you want to win every game you play, obviously. But um, I do think that when when you look at um, Pivac, obviously he wants to play a. a, a a completely he might say otherwise publicly but he does want to play a different game to what Gatham played mm. and this might give him a chance to try and be a bit more um, aggressive and get into that stage and maybe there'll be le- a bit less pressure on results there's never no pressure in his wheels isn't it but you know there's net it might allow him to maybe develop the game a little bit more and by extension might allow him to blood a bit a few more players so I, I, you know, as I said earlier, Shane Lewis Hughes maybe now he'll get in the squad because he's a player that could really be a start the next World Cup, in my opinion. He, he, I think he he could be there. I think the the really fascinating one is obviously do they pick Callum Sheedy or not? If he accepts it, of course. Well, that's, that, the, that's the real question. That's the real question for me. I think if I was Pivac, I'd have been on the phone to him. I think he is. Um, I, I think he's definitely good enough to um, to be within that squad 
it would be it would be massive to lose into England should England come knocking at some point. And I think if you look at the England squad, obviously they've got they've got Farrell and Ford, and there's some really talented there's some really talented young tens out there in terms of Umaga and um, yeah. uh, Simmons and, uh, and and some other players like that. But at the same time, it is pretty much open. Um, and where there's a potential tug of war, I just think you've you've got to ask the question. If he says no, I want to play for England, then then that's fine. You've you've got your answer. But uh, yeah, th- that that would be the first thing. I think you've got to do that over picking. You know, kind of Sam Davis, who, who I like and is uh, is doing an excellent job for the Dragons. But we we kind of know what he's capable of. I think and. Um, who else would be in the running? But yeah, Jared Evans, likewise. I think, you know, I'm a, I'm a, I love watching Jared Evans play. He's a really exciting player. But do I think he's he's playing better rugby than Callum Sheedy at the moment? Not not based on on the rugby I have seen Callum Sheedy play. So for me, I, I, that is actually a really a really, really clear-cut one. The answer is, is less clear-cut. I think if Pivak, obviously I don't know, I can't say for definite, but he's from Cardiff. If Pivak mm. rings him up and says, I'm picking you in my squad, I don't think he's going to say no to that. Because if you look at England, you've got, obviously you've got Farrell and Ford. You know, you've got like Marcus Smith, you've got Simmons as well. There are numerous other players around. Um, you know, he's, he's up against it, isn't he? I know Wales have got depth of 10 as well, but I just think if, if Pivak picks him in the squad... I would be sh- really shocked if he doesn't accept. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I just think, you, you look at it, Bigger's nailed on. Yeah. Patchell, is he going to make it? I'm not sure. Probably. Steph, you is- might be able to answer this one better than me. Um, because it's it's such a long um, period of time um, and, you know, a load of fixtures within there and you've got kind of uh, I don't know whether you know kind of COVID and testing regulations will play any um, any part in this as well. Does it mean that there's an opportunity to name an extended squad, or are there going to be players on standby? You know, my I think the, the ideal scenario would be to have a bigger squad and release players back to the region to get some game time. But I mean, surely across to some point in the autumn, if Reese Patchell remains fit, he's going to be needed by Wayne Pillar. Yeah, I would have thought so. Wouldn't you? I mean, it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to see what happens because I would have thought they'd be in their own bubble up in the Vale. Mm. Um, so you'll have a bigger squad than usual. And I, I don't read, you know, the rumor is that they won't the regions won't have the, you know, their internationals until about April, which mm. is pretty shocking, really, isn't it? If we're being honest. Um, but you know, that aside, I think um, he is going to name a large squad. I think Patrick probably will be there. I think you're right. Um, I think I'd pick Sheedy. I think I'd I'd love to pick Hardy Randall as well, but I think he'd play for England. But mm. I think I've come to the conclusion, you know, Gareth Davis and Webb are nailed on. Mm-hmm. A lot of talk about Kieran Hardy, Rodri Williams, maybe. Hardy's the favourite to go in with Thomas injured. I I I just personally would look at Stephen Varney from Gloucester. I would as well. I'd I think he's been outstanding. 100%. And obviously, you'd be taking him away from Italy. Uh, I, I, I'd, I'd select him as my third scrum half. And then, obviously, that would mean then that you'd have to go back and play in Wales. So you're out in the regions at the same time. So I doubt that, yeah. but that's what I would do. But this is the, this is the other thing, is that tactic has, in terms of uh, bringing players back into Wales to play, has worked. You know, we've, we've seen that yeah. in terms of, you know, even Tompkins on loan. Uh, we've seen it with Reece Webb coming back. Uh, who am I missing here? You know, potentially Will Rollins were expecting to, to turn up in Wales at some point. Um, you yeah, know, that tactic has worked. And I think, again, those 50-50 calls, along with players who could be eligible for other nationalities like Sheedy or, um, uh, or Varney, I, I think that, uh, that you've kind of got to make the call, particularly in a weird autumn like this, Get them in the camp. Get them to experience the, you know, the, that sheer excitement. Make up their mind for them. Get get them in that squad. Get them excited about um, about the, the potential to to really pursue the dream of, uh, of playing for Wales. And I, and I think that it does it does a number of functions. It, it stops them playing for another another nationality or considering that. And uh, and and it also means that they have to come back to Wales to to ply their trade. So. I don't know. For me, for me, these are no-brainers. I'd be, I'd be using it to, uh, to, um, yeah, to do both functions. I would as well. I fully agree. And you know, the, the fact is, both I think both Sheedy and Varney 
on Hardy Randall. I think Randall will play for England, though. But I, I think, yeah, I, think I, I do, I do. But, but I think you know, if we look at Varney and Sheedy, it's not a case of carping them to keep them away from England or Italy. They're both good enough, aren't they? In, mm. You know, in my opinion, I think they both got long-term futures for Wales. So I'd look at that. But I think um, looking at back to the squad. Um, the centres are going to be interesting. I think, you know, you've mentioned Harlow Holo. I'd expect mm. him to be there. Johnny Williams, do you think he'll select him? Because Hadley Parks has gone, right? He's not going to go back to Roberts, right? That would be a back- I like Jamie, but I think that would be a backward step. So Parks gave him go forward. Uh, Tompkins is an excellent player, but he's not the biggest. Johnny Williams, very physical. He was missed yesterday by the Scarlets. Can get over the game line, good offloading game. You know, I just wonder whether he might, um, you know, and he was in pivot because influential in getting him to sign for the Scarlet. Um, in fact, he tried to sign him in the past when, uh, you know, b- before he decided to come to Wales. So I just mm. wonder whether he might be in. I mean, we've spoken about Kieran Williams, but I don't know whether Johnny Williams might be a bit more further down the line in his development. Um, I don't know what you think about that. I think that the front runner would be Johnny Williams. I think, like you said there, Pivak is definitely an admirer of his. Um, I've not seen, I think he's been solid in his, in his outings for, uh, for Scarlet's last term. And, you know, the, the odd occasion where I've seen him uh, play for Newcastle and weirdly seen him play for England um, in that game against the Barbarians. Um, you know, I think, he, I think he's an excellent talent and these and are good options. If I'm looking at a player who I think has a real degree of X factor, and I would be. I, I think I'd be tempted to look at Kieran Williams if, if it was me personally. I think Pivot will go with Johnny Williams. Yes, yeah, it's, it's going to be an interesting selection. As I said, I think as long as he stays fit, I think Kieran Williams is going to be a star of the future. Um, but I think Johnny Williams has potential as well, so so that'll be interesting. So I think you know, if you're looking at uncapped players, Reese Armit is nailed on. I think. I, I think he Hall. has to be, and and yeah. he he will get he will get his cap this autumn, and it will be you know it's he's he's a wonderfully exciting option, and uh, yeah he's you know he, he's still still so young, and the sheer just that volume of tries in uh, in the English Premiership is exciting, but his out and out searing pace, that's the thing that I, I think the back three is is interesting. There's some fifty fifty calls when it comes to when it comes to wingers. That's why I would be looking at, yeah, so Reece is nailed on, but that's why I'd be looking at uh, Hewitt over, over Steph Evans is, you know, I think Steph Evans is playing really, really well and particularly the, the games at the end of last season. Um, but I do, I do wonder that in those outings he's had for Wales in the past, he's looked a little bit short of, um, of that out-and-out acceleration yeah. for, uh, for international rugby and I think Hewitt has that and Hewitt has that um, that cutting cutting edge finish to go with it too so that's why I'd be going for, for him in that slot and in, in the back row I mean I, I'd pick Shane Lewis Hughes I think he, there's a good chance he'd be there Josh McLeod is the other one top um, more turnovers than any mm. other player in the Pro 14 last year personally I don't think he's going to be selected if I'm being honest no I, I don't I, I might be wrong but as I said earlier I just think I don't think it's a reflection on him I think he's good enough I just think there's so much depth and competition. And as I said, Shane Lewis-Hills brings something that other players in the squad don't have. But what McLeod brings is outstanding. I think he will get capped, but I just think he's going to have to bide his time. Um, and then I just think, you look you look elsewhere, and um, I don't really see any other new caps, apart from maybe, Hall- I think, Harlow Hall or maybe and Johnny Williams. Um, yeah. On Varney, maybe, but I don't <laughs> yeah, think Varney will get there. I think it'll be Hardy, but it'll just be interesting to see what what Pivak thinks because in his Six Nations selection, he obviously picked a lot of English-based mm-hmm. players over Welsh-based players to increase the talent base. And what you got to remember is, as I've said, I don't think the sixty-cap law is going to move. No. So I think by selecting English-based players, he's strengthening the the pro size in Wales as well, isn't he? Because they're going to have to come and play for them. So. Yeah, it's one of those perennial things that really frustrates me. And I know you're the same when you see it on social media and people say, oh, it's ridiculous, you should be able to play play your club rugby wherever and play for your, play for your country. And the reality is, is we just cannot do that if you want to have a pro game in Wales. And the, the players have to play somewhere. And it is considerably harder if they play outside Wales to get access to them 
uh, consistently for for training. And if you're able to strengthen those squads and, and bring players back into Wales, then I just think it's an absolute no-brainer. So any of those 50-50 calls, it sounds ridiculous, but first up, you know, I, I do think you've you've got to consider the the club situation. If uh, yeah, if Varney ends up coming back to Wales off the back of getting one cap for 10 minutes against Georgia and he comes back and ends up, I don't know, he ends up at the Ospreys alongside Reese Webb. That's, that is a good result for the Ospreys. It's a good result for Wales. It, it works all round. I just think the, these things, if you look at the big picture, it works. And, and also, um, <clears throat> the other um, really strong, um, strong sort of selection dilemma he's got is tight dead prop. So for me, I mean, obviously Pivak wants a sort of Taniela Tupo style prop, doesn't he? The, mm. the Tottenham Thor. He wants props who can scrummage, but are also really good athletes, great ball players, explosive carriers, and he's right to want that. But Dylan Lewis and Leon Brown are could be that. They're fantastic around the park. Dylan is magnificent at the breakdown. But they are works in they're they're a work in progress in the scrum and at the moment they're not quite there international level. Then you got Samson Lee, who I'm told that is the reason he missed the game yesterday was a knock to the head, nothing serious. Um so he'd be available. I just think he's he looks really good. He he's the strongest scrummager Wales have, including Francis, I think, when he's when he's fully fit. Um so it'd be interesting to see if he gets in there. And of course, Will Griff John. You know, again, could be another pub quiz question in years to come. You know, he, yeah. he got selected a start for Wales. And if you were picking this squad, he probably wouldn't be in it. I mean, he might be in it, obviously. But if I was picking it, I like him. I think he's a good player. But with Samson playing so well, and with Francis, and obviously Welsh-based, and with Francis... Um, he's not going to make that 60, back. is he? He's not going to make that 60 cap. It's going to be... Yeah, I mean that's that's the other thing, and um, and I, I that's another thing. I mean, I, I hear a lot of people say that the sixty cap rule should be bent for Thomas Francis. What a load of nonsense! If you're going to bend, you know, they're, they're saying oh, it should be a, a, an exemption because of coronavirus. Well, what happens then in the future if a player gets injured, misses a season, and doesn't make mm-hmm. sixty caps? I mean, if you bend the rules for one player, you have to bend it for other players, and then you've got, suddenly got people knocking on. Um, Steve Phillips's door, the new chief executive, and saying, "Oh, you know, well, if he can play for Wales, less than sixty caps playing outside of Wales, why, why, why did you stop me moving to Exeter or or to Bristol or Stade Francais or something?" I just think that's nonsense. I, I just think we need to stick strictly to this law. And um, you know, I, I think Fra- Francis losing him would be a huge blow. But I think you, you made a good point there. You, you know, will Francis be in the squad? I, uh, I don't know. I, I think. Samson Lee probably should be the, um, the first choice tight dead. And, and on the loose side then, you've got Wynne Jones, who obviously was ended Gatlin's reign as the first choice, started Pivax as the first choice. Then you've got, obviously, you know, you've got Reese Carey, who's a huge prospect. At his best, Straub Evans is a, is a fantastic player and we know Pivak rates him, but he's been out of sorts for a while. Hasn't started this season and I think Nicky Smith has been outstanding for the Ospreys. I thought he was... Um, Saturday night, so might Rob Evans miss out for Smith? I so think he will. I, I think um, I, I think Smith. Um, I, I think Smith will get the nod there. Yeah, and uh, yeah, I, I generally on the loose head, I, I think it is a it, it's a question of someone kind of managing the workload with Carey until he t- until he makes that shirt his own. I, I just he's a he's a monster, and yeah. I, I actually think it was. I don't know whether it was a good thing or not, but he was he was ready to play a lot more rugby. Um, and my understanding is he got frustrated and therefore took the move to, to Saracens because he felt he he deserved more more starts for Cardiff Blues. And I think he was comfortably good enough then. He's certainly good enough now, and um, I think that front row he's, he's going to be a feature of that for the next ten years. And um, right now, at the moment, is he ready to start those big games against uh, you know against an England or an Ireland? Um, I don't think he's far off. I certainly don't think he's far off. But uh, yeah, it's kind of a question of, of managing that. So uh, I think Nicky Smith is probably is probably going to get the nod over over Rob Evans. Win Jones is 
a solid, dependable uh, prop who has proven he can he can uh, he can scrummage really, really well at international level and, and be a really good. I, do you know what? I, I love the fact that he's he's continued to improve his game, and you know he's a, he's a, he's a no frills player. Um, but I think that's that's, that's a good thing, and uh, and that should be rewarded, and he can do a job within the squad. I think his form is perhaps tailed off a little bit in the wake of the World Cup, um, but nonetheless, I, you know, I'd be looking at, at those three. And just just to go back to, to Tighthead and to the squad in general, for me, I, I've, if I was in charge, I'd name a massive squad, and Woodruff John would be in it, uh, and I'd give him twenty. I know, I know this sounds horrendous, giving caps for the sake of caps, but. Let's be honest, some of these test matches are test matches for the sake of And I think he's earned a cap as well. I think he's earned a cap. He was named, you know, he was named to start. If he starts against Georgia, uh, and it means he's got to come back to, to Wales if he wants to play for Wales again, I don't see that as being a bad thing. Again, someone will end up with a uh, with a very good uh, a very good massive tight head prop. So um yeah, it, it, it's a weird thing and certainly on the Thomas yeah. Francis thing, I, I wouldn't make the law whatsoever. You know, he's he's been an excellent uh, servant for Wales. He's not clearly not been massively keen on coming back to Wales and he took the he took the chance of extending his contract and uh and isn't going to be able to make up those numbers and yes it's yeah. extenuating circumstances but not enough to waive it in my opinion. If Francis wants to stay at Exeter that's fair enough. Mm. Absolutely respect that decision. But if he wants to play for Wales, then he should have signed for a Welsh region. Mm. That that's that that's the you know making an exception for one player. It's ridiculous. You know, it's not fair. And other players who have turned down big money to go to England and France, and you know, you know, to stay in Wales to play for Wales. And Reese Webb, you know, I thought it was right that he wasn't selected for Wales. I, you know, I was, might have been in the minority, but I thought he was right. But Webb decided then, right, I actually want to play for Wales, so, OK, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll sign for the Ospreys. You know, I think there are circumstances, like Thomas Young, who I think is a terrific player, who alleged, apparently, uh, I think this is accurate, wasn't um, offered a contract by a Welsh side. Mm-hmm. So, sign for Wasp, I think he should be allowed to play for Wales. But if Francis, you know, but also there's a difference as well, you know, when... You've got to be careful with that that sort of um, talk as well because when when you're a player, you know your agent could say, could say, I'm not say, saying that this is the case with Young or Francis or anything, but you have to be careful with that as well, right? Because you could your you could your agent could ask you, do you want to go play in Wales? And you'd be like, no, ideally I want to want to play stay with my English club, but uh, want to play for Wales as well. And he said, right, to see what I can do, then he can uh, price a player out of a move to Wales. And then yeah. he could, uh, you know, I'm not saying this this has happened, but so you, I suppose it's not as cut and dry as, as what I'm saying there about Young. I'm thinking about it, but my point is, if Francis wants to play for Wales, he should sign for a Welsh region. And I, I think it has, to, it has to be black and white now. And I think well, it's, uh, you know, even the, um, you know, Thomas Young, I, I don't know the ins and outs of, yeah, my understanding is he wasn't off the contract, but I don't know whether that's, uh, um, yeah, whether he's, you know, been priced out. I certainly think that if you are allowing a grey area, agents will get hold of it. It's just, it's as simple as that. You know, they're in they're in the business to make money, and it's a business for them. It is not a question of of the the long term health of the of the Welsh side or the regions. So the more you can alleviate agents occupying that grey area, the better. So for me, it's very very simple. If you don't have the uh, the requisite sixty caps, you have to play in Wales and. I just yeah. don't see any exceptions really uh, whatsoever, and and the, the fact of the matter is we had this in the past. We had this halfway house, and it didn't work. And um, you know, it, the, the, what was then called you know Gatlin's law, rather misleadingly, it never really worked for this very reason. The sixty cap rule has and, worked. And what what really annoys me? It really annoys me, right? I, I look I look at social media. Oh, I probably shouldn't do this every time. If we if we take Wales online or, or the BBC and they do a story on the sixty cap law or some player effective here, and then you look at the comments underneath, and it's, oh, it's just I want to throw my laptop out the window. And you get these people, and they say, "I understand, fair enough, they don't support any of the Welsh pro sides. Mm. Fine, I support Wales, but they like oh, it's weakening Wales this and that. They, don't they see that the main reason this law is here?" isn't actually to strengthen the pro sides. It does do that. That's mm. not the reason for it. The reason is 
to keep Wales competitive at test level because Pivac now has over 90% of his squad available for all training sessions. You know, he doesn't have to send players back on fallow weeks, etc. This law isn't actually there to strengthen the pro sides, even though it does that. That's just an added bonus. It's here to strengthen the national side. Mm. These people can't see that. It's, it's blatantly obvious and they can't see it. And it's 60 cap law is one of the best things the WU have brought in or the PRB then have brought in. So, uh, yeah, uh, we've probably... Uh, I probably diverted this uh, this conversation away from the squad, but um, yeah, it's, I think it'd be interesting to see if he does pick Francis. No, it all, made, it all makes sense. Um, I, do you know what? I could I could still see him picking him. I, I just can't see I just can't see a situation where because um, uh, what is it? Is it fifty two caps he's on? Something like that. Yeah. So how many internationals have we got this year? Um, oh, bloody loads. Um, so there's. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, in theory, there could be a way of him sneaking it, but I just don't think he can as a tight head prop. Um, I, I can't see I can't see a way that that happens. I will do uh, more extensive homework on that and, uh, yeah. and let you know whether there is a way of doing it. I just, uh, yeah, I, I think uh, he will be planning for life after Francis, but at the same time, I think he's going to want him in the squad just to, just to utilise him throughout. And just, just one more thing. Uh, your comment on Reese Carey, fully agree. I think he's a great prospect and um, neck on the line here. Yeah. Uh, but I am, uh, I'm going to say that he's uh, going to be in the next Lions tour. I think he's a, he's a great prospect. Gatlin likes him. Perfect to face the South Africans if he's played more test matches by then and he's matured. I, I'm, there could be a few wild cards on that tour. And I think he'll be one of them. Luke and Dickie will be the other one. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, I'm a big, big fan of both those players, actually. Um, right, let's finish that just by having a quick look at the, uh, the Pro 14 fixtures for next week for the reasons. Uh, so Dragons at home to Zebra, you mentioned when we reviewed the game out in Dublin that they need to be judged on the games uh, that they need to be winning. Well, Rodney Parade against Zebra, that, that's, uh, that's a game that, uh, that Dean Ryan will not be targeting. He'll be expecting a win there. Yeah, as I said, you know, going back to my my other point, you know, when you're promoted from the championship, you don't need to beat your Leinsters or your Man Cities. You need to beat your, you know, the teams around you. And, and Zebra one of those. And the Dragons are they, they'd be challenged physically in the front five, but I think all all around the park, they it would be pretty poor if they lost that game. So I'm going to go for a Dragons win. That okay, uh, I'm going to do the same. And yeah, I don't know. Dare I say it? I actually think we might. Yeah, I think that might be a that might be a good victory, a, a tight arm wrestle, and then actually a few things to uh, a few things to, to get us excited. There we go. A bit of optimism from me on those rarest of occasions. Ospreys versus Ulster. Um, Ospreys obviously will be looking to follow up that one with a win, but Ulster. Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a, it's a stiff test. Whatever whatever time of year you play them, how do you see that one planning out? It is a stiff test. I don't think Ulster have been playing well recently. Um, I think they they obviously were, you know, they did well to beat Edinburgh in that game. But they were, I think Edinburgh lost that game, that semi final. As much mm. as Ulster won it, Leinster beat them pretty easily. They got you know uh, absolutely slaughtered by Toulouse. So they're a good side, but I think the Ospreys are favourites. I think they got a good chance. Um, you know, it's all about momentum. They should have their internationals next week if they can pick the same team. It'd be a tight game. But yeah, I, I fancy the Ospreys, so I'll go for the Ospreys there. Cardiff Blues versus Connacht. Uh, I think this is a tough assignment, even though it's yeah. at home. Pressure's on for a win and Connacht are a tough, tough outfit. Yeah, Connacht are really dangerous this season, aren't they? Because obviously, mm. like when they won the Pro 12 during the World Cup, you know, they, everybody loses their internationals. They lose very few. I think it'd be tight, but at home... I just fancy Cardiff will uh, well, I say at home it's not in the Arms Park but I'm um, oh, of course it's not I'm yeah, going yeah, go I'm going to go for Cardiff win that narrow win narrow win so so far Steph we've got three wins out of three for the Welsh regions and then uh, Scarlet's go away to Glasgow uh, next Sunday evening will it be four from four or is that going to be uh, is that going to be uh, an assignment too far I think um this is probably the toughest assignment for a Welsh team this next weekend. I think, um, as I said, there were a lot of good in their game against Munster, but I think when you lose games, the guy knocks the confidence from you. Um, I don't think Glasgow are um, that good either at the moment. 
I think what the Scars have got in their favour is they've got a really strong pack and they have got quality in their team. Hopefully, Patjo will come back into it, which will help. Um, they've got a reasonably decent record up in Glasgow. They won their last season. That'll be touch and go. For I'm going to say that the Scarlets will bounce back and win. But there I'm not confident. Well, yeah, I, uh, I like the thought of a uh, four um four wins for, for four Welsh regions. I'm not sure in the four years I've been doing this podcast that we've ever come on air and had to uh, had to report that. So uh, yeah, we'll we'll see whether that's the case or not. It's definitely great to chat to you. Uh, got through uh, yeah, got through loads of stuff there. Some uh, some really interesting stuff to, to chat through. Uh, we will be back to chat rugby with you very very soon. Obviously, we've got a, a huge season of rugby ahead. So make sure that uh, that you like and subscribe to us. However, you get your podcasts, and if you've enjoyed listening to this, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, big thanks as always to our sponsors at So Coffee Trades and uh, yeah one final thank you uh, again to Steph right we'll be back to chat with you next week Sports Social Podcast Network